This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, one of America's foremost manufacturers of premium knives. Case Knives have been treasured items that have been passed down to my family for generations. So put down the phone, shut off the TV, and go out and get your hands dirty and build something. Keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. Hey, you're listening to Shaun of the South Live. That means you can hear behind me are the boys from Gallatin King. Somebody's died, babe, somebody's died Well, that train was going through the tunnel When it all caved in, babe, all caved in Asheville Junction, Swannanoa Tunnel All caved in, babe, all caved in Somebody's coming, babe, somebody's coming Well, I'm sorry, man, said the railroad official Your husband's gone, he's a long time gone Asheville Junction, Swannanoa Tunnel Okay, then, babe, okay This old hammer, she's made of silver. She shines like gold, babe. She shines like gold. Take this hammer and throw it in the river. She sings right on. She shines right on. Asheville Junction, Swannanoa Tunnel, all caved in, babe. No. Gallatin King. We had a little bit of rain last week. A little bit of rain. It did turn into a lot of rain around Wednesday. It got pretty, pretty heavy, the showers did. We get that a lot around northwest Florida and south Alabama. The weather blows in from the Gulf of Mexico up, up the coast, and it hits us and it hovers around our region just long enough to make our residents feel clinically depressed. <laughs> and then it blows further north and it dissipates, and it never even reaches Montgomery. But we get it, and, and it keeps us saturated for a few days on end but I'll tell you the truth I do like rain I especially like to walk out to my screen porch which is covered with a tin roof and I enjoy listening to the sound of the water pelt the metal 
I can sit and listen for hours. I haven't always been this way, but the older I get, the more of my father I have in me. I listen to that rain, and I hear my dog start to whimper, and she's looking at the screen door. And I know what that means. She, she wants to go outside, but I ignore her. And I just listen to the rain fall, and it feels like sitting inside the snare drum of heaven. As if Beulah land itself is making its descent toward the earth one drop at a time. But this is interrupted by more whimpers, more whimpers. And finally she's scratching, my dog is scratching on the screen door. And that is dog code, international dog language for I have got to do something that will ruin your carpet. (laughs) And so I stood up and I opened the door and I let her go. And as soon as I did it, I realized I had made a terrible mistake. Because my dog, you see, is a hound dog. She's a black and tan bloodhound. She has a nose which can smell what you had for dinner on February the 10th, 2008. (laughs) And she will use that nose to follow any scent which has been lingering since the Eisenhower administration on the ground. She pressed her nose to the wet, wet grass and she followed some sort of invisible trail and it led her to a big mud puddle which was roughly the size of Lake Superior. She jumped in it without even a moment's worth of hesitation, and she rolled around in that puddle like a chicken wing getting ready to be batter fried. (laughs) She jumped out, and she she looked at me with these wild, crazy eyes and a wide, open-mouth grin, and she ran toward me, and I held my hands out to stop her. I said, no, 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 but she ran anyway, and when she reached me, as soon as she was close enough, she shook her coat so vigorously that the skin made a flapping noise and every atomic-sized molecule and nuclear-sized particle of dirt and mud was flung from her black hair and embedded into the very fibers of my clothes. (laughs) And I said a very ugly word. Took her by the scruff of the neck, I walked her into the bathroom and I washed her for about 30 minutes and it took about that long to get the stink off of her and get her smelling like Clairol shampoo again. She ran straight back toward the screen door after I had towel dried her and she scratched on the door and I said, you know what, you're just going to have to pee all over the kitchen floor, honey. Rain is kind of a way of life in northwest Florida, south Alabama. It's a way of life and it's very important to find ways to entertain yourself and this is why religion is so popular in the south. While I was towel drying my my dog, I got a phone call from my cousin. He said, my friend goes to a big megachurch. You should see this thing. It's like six flags over Jesus. It's huge. And they're having some special service tonight, Wednesday night, and he invited me to come. I kind of want to go just out of sheer curiosity, but but I won't go if you don't go with me. I said, ah, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not a big church goer. I like church, but it was raining, and I didn't have a whole lot to do. My wife was gone for a few days, and you can only stand so much rain on a tin roof, so I agreed. After a few hours, he was parked in my driveway. I got into his truck, and we drove two hours northwest 
two hours, and we talked about the old days. My cousin was what was known as a wild child. At least that's what everybody called him. He was wild. He liked to smoke cigarettes. He carried a few always rolled up in his shirt sleeve. He was the kind of kid who sold racy playing cards on the playground for 50 cents each. He made a lot of money from that deck of cards. He kept a stack of magazines beneath his mattress. He was a wild child who learned how to sow his wild oats early in life. We arrived at this huge church. It was a building which looked like it belonged in a science fiction movie. It was flat-roofed, and it had tin metal polished to a mere finish on the sides of the building and a fine wall of glass which rocketed toward the sky and doors which were 50 foot tall, reflective glass doors. We stepped out of the truck and I looked at this thing and my cousin looked at it and he said, There was a shuttle which came to pick us up for we were parked about half a mile away from the front doors and the man riding the shuttle had a, had a headset on and he said, Hop on. We reached the front doors. They were gargantuan doors of pure glass, and they opened up. My cousin and I walked through, and we were greeted by two nice-looking greeters, a man and a woman, who were dressed in outfits that looked like they came from the official franchise of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> they handed us bulletins, only they weren't bulletins at all. They were, they were magazines with cover models on the fronts, 200-page magazines with glossy pictures. And the cover models on the front were playing guitars, sitting on the hood of an old rustic Jeep, staring at the camera with that serious deadpan look that suggested they wanted to sell you a designer fragrance. <laughs> and my cousin looked at the tall, vaulted ceilings And the people which were lingering in this large thing they called a lobby. And he said, Do you reckon these people are Baptists? Well, there's no telling. Because they have these new non-denominations today. And these non-denominations take elements from all the denominations and they mush them together in, in in a... a mix of an unidentifiable denomination. But my cousin and I, see, we grew up with three known denominations to us. We knew Baptists, Methodists, and people who spoke at tongues at funerals. <laughs> Long ago, my cousin and I were fascinated with the Pentecostals. Tyler, our friend, was a Pentecostal, and he would tell us stories about how their church services went. One day at the playground, Tyler was telling us about how he had gone down front with his mother, and he'd watched her faint when the preacher pressed his hand on her forehead. We said, was she okay? He said, oh, she's fine. All she did was go down under the power. Go down under the power. We'd never heard of this before. So my cousin and I decided we would go visit Tyler's church. We visited that church. The preacher was a man who stood at the pulpit. It was a wood-roofed, wood-floored room which perfectly reverberated the sound of his voice across the room. You could hear him from the front where the pulpit was all the way to the back. You could listen. You could feel 
the man's passion coming through his voice. There's a way that Pentecostal preachers speak. It's a shouting, sing-songy kind of preaching. At the end of the service, the preacher had rolled up his sleeves and taken off his coat. He was sweating through his white button-down shirt, and he looked into the audience, and he said, we're about to have a prayer time. And he waved his hand over the audience, and people seemed to know what to do. Folks were standing up, and they were walking down the aisle. The first man to walk down the aisle toward the preacher was a young man, and he looked at the preacher, and the preacher stopped him, and he said, you, he knows what you do when no one's looking. And then the preacher reared his hand back and he threw an imaginary ball of lightning at the young man. And the man fell backward under the power and he giggled on the floor like a 10-year-old schoolgirl. And the people cheered and they cheered. And another, another man walked down the aisle and the preacher looked at him and he said, You, God can see the insides of your heart and he knows what you've been doing after you get off work every night. And that man fell down. He hit the ground. No one even caught him. And he writhed on the ground like he was being tickled to death by the Holy Spirit. And I nudged my cousin. I said, now, come on. This is why we came. Go on down there. My cousin looked at me. He said, "Mm mm-mm, I'm going down there. Do you know what kind of magazines I have underneath my bed? (laughs) Nevertheless, we came for a reason. So I took my cousin by the arm. And together, he and I braved the humiliation that awaited us. And we walked down the aisle and my cousin was trembling. And the preacher did see us. He gave us a sharp look and he stopped us. And he said, you, and he was pointing right at my cousin. He said, you, God has never seen a more pure and gentle heart in any child of his kingdom. And my cousin looked at me and he nearly made a little pile on the floor. And the preacher reared his hand back and he flung it toward my cousin. And my cousin, to my surprise, fell straight backward. And he laughed on the floor. I'll never forget that. Never forget that. We wandered through the lobby of this huge mega church. They had a coffee shop over in the corner, a coffee shop which served Starbucks coffee. Our official tour guide was named Derek. Derek is a 20-something-year-old wearing jeans that have rips from the top to the bottom in them. He is wearing a shirt which has holes in it. He is wearing a stocking cap even though it is 70 degrees outside. He has a long trimmed beard and earrings in his ears which are the size of baseballs. (laughs) And he is wearing sandals. And my cousin looks at the Starbucks and he says, Can you believe they have a Starbucks here? And Derek says, that's nothing. Sometimes the guys all get together to watch the football game in the sanctuary, and they they blast it onto the big screen, and they'll even serve craft beer here. Oh, we have some good local breweries in town. And my cousin looked to me, and he said, these folks are definitely not Baptists. (laughs) They led us into a large sanctuary. At least I think that's what it was. It felt more like being at Bryant-Denny Stadium. The seats were plush, red velvet. They were made by a sister company of Tempur-Pedic. They were wonderful feeling on the back. We sat down, and then it was time to sing. A young man got up front on the stage, and he led the singing for an entire congregation of people in T-shirts and ripped jeans. And the young man was singing songs, and the lyrics were, were blasted onto an LCD screen behind him. 
There are only about four lyrics to this song. <laughs> the song itself was, you are, 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 you are amazing. <laughs> Very easy to sing along with. I remember going to a church that was small, and when people sang, they sang words which they read out of hymnals, and the words were, were triple-syllable words. There's a hymn that I can remember singing with the word Ebenezer in it. Ebenezer. Or the lyrics to the fourth verse of Amazing Grace. I can remember singing those lyrics when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. After the music portion of the service, the pastor took the stage. And the pastor was a man who was dressed in a silk suit, which was shiny and probably more expensive than any one of my kidneys. And he had a Garth Brooks microphone slung around his face. And he threw his arms wide open as if he were giving the entire church one singular bear hug. And he said, greetings, family. And everybody threw their arms outward and they said, greetings, And I leaned over to Derek, our tour guide, and I said, is that the pastor? He said, well, our pastor doesn't really like that label, to be honest. Our pastor doesn't really like labels at all. He prefers that people call him doctor. (laughs) Well, the good doctor gave a sermon, which was unlike any sermon I'd ever heard before. He did not use a King James Bible, leather-bound with gold-leaf pages, to speak. He used his New York Times best-selling book, he spoke positive words, though, I do have to say that. And he, and he smiled a lot. He smiled a lot. If a man could win an award for smiling, this guy would be the all-time state champion. And at the end of the service, there was absolutely no invitation. During my childhood, a church service was extraordinarily predictable. You knew what you were going to get before you even got it. You would walk in. There would be a little meet-and-greet time. After... In an opening song, the pastor would smile from the pulpit and he would say, now, now shake hands with your neighbor. And then we would all sing a few more songs out of the white Broadman hymnal or the Cokesbury hymnal. And then we would all sit down in wood pews and we would listen to a special song sung by someone who is only moderately talented, but we took what we could get in the Baptist church. And then after the music, the pastor would take the stage and he would speak And he would speak unamplified, and his voice would carry, and the natural acoustics of the room would would make him sound as if he were preaching straight to you. And you'd let your mind drift to the old wood floors, or the altar, or the the pane glass windows, which were multicolored. They weren't real stained glass windows, so the panes were just painted different colors. You would count those colors when you got particularly bored or when the pastor started preaching against little boys who played poker after school or spent too much time looking at magazines that had that center page which unfolded. (laughs) And then there would be an altar call. An altar call or an invitation, depending on the denominational tradition you hail from. The invitation is where the pastor invites anybody who is not living right to come walk down the aisle in front of God and country and maybe get saved for the 14th time. (laughs) Sometimes there would be no sinners in our church. Sometimes during the invitation, Bill Andrews, who smelt like last Saturday night, would stand up and just leave the church altogether. 
Thus, the invitation would carry on and carry on for about two hours. And we would sing songs for these two hours like, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Or we would sing, There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. And you'd be sitting with your granny, and you'd be about to starve to death. So, you would take one for the team just to get things over with, and you would walk down that center aisle, and you would ask the pastor to pray for you. And finally, mercifully, Miss Betty would stop playing the piano, and we could all go out to lunch. But this church, this mega church, did not do that. We walked back through the lobby, we shook everybody's hand, and we followed our tour guide, Derek, out to the lobby. He led us to what's called the hangout place. The hangout place is sort of their version of a fellowship hall. The fellowship halls of my childhood were linoleum-floored rooms with popcorn ceilings and a singular water fountain way out in the back corner. This place, the hangout, was about the size of the Great Mall of America. It had fast food chains inside, and you could take your pick of what kind of food you wanted to eat. My cousin went and he got the pad thai. And I was searching endlessly for fried chicken because a fellowship hall is not a fellowship hall without fried chicken. But there was not even a single piece of fried poultry found in this food court. On the way home, my cousin and I talked about the old days. and We shared memories about the old churches we'd been to. We had a good conversation. We talked about little white-haired preachers who delivered sermons from wood pulpits. And we talked about the old church buildings of our childhood with green roofs and green shutters and azalea bushes and camellias out front and finely trimmed lawns and the church signs. Oh, the church signs of my childhood. There were lettered signs and they had church messages each week. Church messages like, are you lost? Try Jesus. Or one of my favorite church signs, which read, Don't let worry and depression kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) Or the sign the preacher and the maintenance man would drag out to the church lawn during Christmas and Easter services when every person who considered themselves a Judeo-Christian would show up for their one service a year. They would park on the lawn and destroy the lawn with tire marks. And the pastor and the maintenance man would drag an arrow-shaped sign out to the church lawn with little light bulbs on it and letters on the front. And they would spell out a sign which read, No parking on the church lawn. Violators will be baptized. (laughs) Oh, the church signs of childhood. And my cousin and I talked, and we talked the whole way home, and my cousin said, I miss those churches like that, don't you? 
the little community churches. Another little community church dries up every day. They're disappearing by the thousands. And they're being swallowed by these mega, mega corporation churches. A few days later, my cousin called me. He said, hey, I have an idea. My mother-in-law goes to a church way out in the sticks. It's a little tiny, tiny church. She invited me to go. They're having a potluck. I don't know. Just an idea. I said, I'd love to go. I'd love to. My cousin and his daughter and his wife showed up to my house, and they were dressed like you would dress to go to church. My cousin wore a little button-down shirt with a tie and short sleeves. We drove out into the sticks, and there was a small church, and it was a holiness church. We walked through the front little lobby. We were greeted by two greeters who were middle-aged. They had lines around their face and salt and pepper hair, and they said, How are you doing today? And they handed us a bulletin which had been made on a Xerox machine. We found our place to a little pew in the back, and we watched while the preacher delivered a sermon which was stirring enough to make you stand up and shout occasionally. It was the kind of sermon which drew amens from working class people who were seated around us. Amens. Church sermons aren't church sermons without an amen here or there. And then at the end of the service, a small frail woman got up to the organ to play, and she played, and it was an organ that sounded like 1974. And she played, there's room at the cross. There's room at the cross for you. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and nobody came down front. And finally, my cousin stood up, and he said, I've had enough of this. I'm about to die of hunger. <laughs> and he walked down front, and he recommitted his life for the 29th time in a row. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a real pleasure. Hope you join us next week. That music I heard behind me today is Gallatin Canyon. Luke Wilson, Ben Hernandez, George Guthrie, Zach Blatter, Andy Thacker, Landon Fishburne, and Michael Clem. To find anything more about what they do, you can visit GallatinCanyonBand.com. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouth.com. And while you're there, I hope you drop me a line, because I love to hear from my friends. And speaking of friends, friends... Remember, you never understand anything truly as good as you think you do until you can explain it to your grandmother. Adios. Adios.